Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, church family, and to any of those guests that are joining us online, I hope you had a Merry Christmas and enjoyed celebrating the birth of our Savior with your family at home this holiday season. Uh, I'd like to start out this brief home Bible study video with a question. And that question is, what is peace? The modern peace symbol or logo that many of us are familiar with was designed by a man named Gerald Holtham in 1958. He was part of a group called the British Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament, and he wanted to create an image that would signify their movement. According to Holtham, the vertical line in the center represents the flag semaphore signal for D, and the downward lines on either side represent the semaphore signal for the letter N. N and D together were the abbreviation for nuclear disarmament. Now the semaphore signaling system was used to be used by ships and trains and towers before the invention of the telegraph to communicate across long distances. Uh, it involved a signaler holding up a flag in each hand and then moving the flags to different positions in order to communicate a letter in the alphabet or a number. Of course, we're all familiar with the peace symbol that we've seen the last few decades because it's on TV, the internet, and uh, t-shirts and sweatshirts and album covers and much more. But that peace symbol that Holtham created in 1958, it has definitely lived the test of time. And it's been used ever since for, by each generation following to call for the end of wars, nuclear armament, civil conflicts, and more. Now most of us, if not all of us, desire peace in our lives and in our world, at least I've got to admit, I've never met anyone yet who has said, nah, I don't like peace. I prefer conflict and war and unrest. And so what is this thing called peace? And this thing that we all desire, but it seems so elusive to us in the world. Well, I'd like to answer that question today. But before I do, we must do what we should always do before we open God's word. And that is, we need to quiet our hearts and to ask Him to help us understand it. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, You've created us to long for and pursue peace, so long as it depends on us. And the Christmas carols we've sung during this season talk about the peace the birth of Christ brought. Would you please help us to understand what Your Word says about peace, and just how much we can expect here on earth. Thank you for your timeless truth, the timeless truth of your word, excuse me. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. And today I'd like to conclude the series I've been doing this month called Christmas in Five Words. My goal with this series was to simplify the Christmas story in the gospel message down to five words that we could memorize together. So far in this series, we've learned that the Christmas story began with a promise from God 700 years ago before the birth of Christ in the book of Isaiah. And that promise from God was fulfilled with his incarnation on Christmas morning. Then we learn from Matthew chapter 1 that the, that the purpose of Jesus' birth was to be our Savior. And then at the driveway Christmas Eve service we had this past Thursday evening, we learned that the predominant emotion on the night that Jesus was born was joy. And so if you missed any of those lessons or perhaps want to extend your Christmas celebration into next week, you can find those other four videos on our website, the Apple Podcast app, or YouTube channel. Now, the last and final word, the fifth and final word that we need to learn this Christmas season is peace. Micah was a minor prophet who preached to the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel in the early 700s BC. You can find his book near the end of the Old Testament between the books of Jonah and Nahum. Similar to his contemporary Isaiah, Micah was given the difficult assignment of pronouncing judgment on God's people during another season of rebellion for them. Now, despite their disobedience, the Lord promises to make his people a great nation again by sending a Messiah to save them and lead them. Now, there are two simple truths about peace I'd like to share with you uh, today that are on your outline. I hope you printed one off uh, our website. The first truth comes from Micah chapter 5. And if you would follow along with me as I read verses 2 through 5. Micah writes, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And here's the key verse, verse 5, and he shall be their peace. Okay, here's the first truth on your outline coming from Micah chapter 5, and that is Jesus Christ can be the source of peace for us. Jesus Christ can be the source of peace for us. Not only is Micah 5 another Old Testament prophecy that describes the forthcoming birth of Christ down to the very detail of which town he'd be born in, which of course is Bethlehem, 
but also verse 5 describes one of the many things he would provide for us. Peace. You see it there in verse 5, and he shall be their peace. Now, the dictionary has several words it uses to define peace. Peace can be the absence of hostility, um, harmony between people, uh, public order. It can be uh, security, calmness, or silence. But something a lot of Christians don't realize is that for the most part, the Bible doesn't promise peace in our world, or what I would call outer peace, peaceful circumstances. Instead, the scriptures focus on the inner peace that can be had through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. One reason for this is the fact that we are living in between the Garden of Eden and heaven. Life on a sin-filled planet is the consequences we earned as co-conspirators in the fall. Therefore, requiring the Lord to give us outer peace in our circumstances or to surround us with peace here on earth would be, in essence, to demand heaven on earth. And He's not going to do that. However, what God does promise in His Word is to get believers through this life to the next one where there will be peace forever. Now, this can be seen in Psalm 46, where the psalmist describes the Lord as our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He then says, we need not fear if the earth falls apart around us, if mountains fall into the sea, if Nations rage and kingdoms totter. Instead, we should remember the Lord's encouragement to us from verse 10, Psalm 46:10. And I know you've all heard it. Be still and know that I am God. So, so in other words, he's saying, be still and know that I'm God. Even if you see mountains fall into the sea, and if you see the earth fall apart, I mean, the worst possible situation we could imagine, scariest situation we could imagine, and we can still have peace. Another example of where this shows up is in Mark chapter 4, when Jesus and the disciples got caught in a storm on a boat in the, on the Sea of Galilee. As the seasoned seamen were straining at the oars for their very lives, Jesus was asleep in the stern on a cushion. Now, although they were able to awaken Jesus, and he did calm the storm eventually, he also expressed disappointment with them when he said, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You see, the point of the storm story was, was not the fact that Jesus can calm the storms in our lives, but instead the point he wanted the disciples to get was that I am the calm in your storms. So no matter what happens around you, you will always have me to help you. The Apostle Paul reinforced this truth several centuries later, uh, after Micah was written, uh, when he told the Ephesians, who were embroiled in some intra-church conflict, for he himself is our peace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. So, if you've entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have to be anxious about anything. 
in your life because you've got Him. And if you belong to Him, you can trust that no matter what comes your way, He will always work all things together for your good. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, but how do I get the peace that Jesus Christ offers? Well, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Let's look at the Christmas story one last time uh, this season. Luke chapter 2. You may remember that in Luke 2, it describes what happened on the night that Jesus was born. And shortly after his birth, angels appeared to a group of shepherds out in the fields watching their flocks that evening. The angels made the following proclamation to the surprised shepherds. Uh, Follow along with with me, excuse me, as I read Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 14. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Okay, here's the second truth about peace that is on your outline and I want to share with you today. And that is the gospel is the doorway to peace with God. The gospel is the doorway to peace with God. The gospel is simply the fact that our sin separates us from God and has earned us a death sentence in hell. In order to solve this problem, Jesus Christ died in our place on a cross, paying the price for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and then conquered death three days later by resurrecting himself from the dead. Now, notice the last phrase of the angel's statement in Luke 2, verse 14. On earth, peace, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, the last half of this verse is often translated in Christmas carols and on Christmas cards as peace on earth and goodwill towards men. I think this comes from the King James translation, but it is unfortunately not an accurate rendering of what this verse really means. Modern translations, such as the ESV, plug, plug, the New English translation or the NET translation, and the NIV get it right. What this verse really means, what it really, really means, is that God no longer wants to be at odds with men on earth. Thus, when he came with a multitude of heavenly hosts, when the angels did, he came not to conquer earth like an invading ruler from another country, but instead he came to make peace with men on earth. Now, however, however, the making of peace has to be on his terms, not ours. Why is that? Because we're the ones who went to war with God the first time we sinned against him. 
and we lost. We're like the Japanese at the end of World War II. We started the war with God, but He finished it. Now we must offer our unconditional surrender to Him. Well, what are the terms of surrender that God is offering? Well, He's offered forgiveness of our sins, reconciliation with Him, eternal life, and peace through repentance and faith with His Son. So, who is God pleased with in Luke chapter 2, verse 14? He is pleased with those who give their hearts to the baby in the manger. He is pleased with those who repent of their sins and make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. Those are the people who get peace with God, according to Luke chapter 2. Now, the truth that the gospel is a doorway to peace with God can also be seen in Paul's letter to the Romans, in which he writes, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. In other words, through Christ, the believer is no longer under God's wrath and condemned to hell for their sin. Through Christ, the repentant believer is no longer at odds with God, but rather at peace with Him. And He, dear friends, is the first and most important person that we need to be reconciled with. Well, a few years ago, I read a story about a Sunday school teacher who was leading her class through a lesson on the Christmas story. So she asked the class full of children this question, what is peace? After a brief pause, a wise young boy raised his hand and answered, peace is when you feel all smooth inside. I love that word picture this young man gave us. So, what is peace? Well, in summary of what I've showed you today from the scriptures, it's the presence of Jesus Christ dwelling in your heart and the absence of conflict with Him. That's, that's the kind of peace that's talked about in the scriptures. And the birth of Christ made both of these types of peace possible. Peace in our hearts and peace with God. Thus, this is why the fifth and final word we need to learn this Christmas season is peace. Well, I hope you enjoyed this series as much as I did. If you were, please consider giving this video a thumbs up on YouTube, subscribe to our channel, and share it on social media so others can be blessed. I'll see you again soon. Until then, I hope you have a safe and happy new year. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.